0: Thank you for tuning into Songs of Praise from Three ABN Australia Radio. We trust you'll enjoy this musical selection to bring you peace, comfort, and hope.
1: I was trying to blame all my gifts On this world I was in Service relationships used me Till I was done in And all while someone was missing from sea
2: And weary of struggling with sin Forget not the hope that's before you And never stop counting the cost Remember the hopelessness when you were lost There's a joy in the journey There's a light we can love on the way There is a wonder and wildness to life And freedom for those who obey And freedom for those who obey
0: endeavors to draw your heart, mind and soul to a closer relationship with your Saviour, Jesus Christ.
3: I see prophecies fulfilled.
0: Enjoying this music, encourage your friends to listen to this program each week.
3: A heartache here is but a stepping stone Along a long trail that's winding always upwards This troubled world is not my fault Sure. Cause the heart to tremble. Remember, there will only bring us. soul of man is like a waiting falcon. When it's released, it's destined for
0: Invite your family and friends to also enjoy Songs of Praise.
1: is fighting him.
4: There'll never be a day in your life when God won't come through. There's a mountain in front of you. He'll make the mountain move. When the road ahead seems too dark, he'll guide you through. When the waters are in front of you, he'll part them too. There's never been a day.
1: spans his face from-
0: 3ABN Australia Radio are delighted to share songs of praise with you. We look forward to your company next time. Welcome to 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading program. The book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen White, presents the parables of Jesus in a fresh light, showing their application to Christian living today. In this devotional classic, Ellen White explores the depths of the best-loved teachings of Jesus, offering a deeply spiritual understanding of the parables of Christ as they apply to our lives today. You'll enjoy the practical applications in a way that touches your heart. Listen now as Clive Nash reads.
5: Continuing the chapter, Talents and continuing the section on The One Talent. The Lord desires His people to reach the highest round of the ladder that they may glorify Him by possessing the ability He is willing to bestow. Through the grace of God, every provision has been made for us to reveal that we act upon better plans than those upon which the world acts. We are to show a superiority in intellect, in understanding and skill and knowledge because we believe in God and in His power to work upon human hearts. But those who have not a large endowment of gifts need not become discouraged. Let them use what they have, faithfully guarding every weak point in their characters, seeking by divine grace to make it strong. Into every action of life we to weave faithfulness and loyalty, cultivating the attributes that will enable us to accomplish the work. Habits of negligence should be resolutely overcome. Many think it a sufficient excuse for the grossest errors to plead forgetfulness. But do they not, as well as others, possess intellectual faculties? Then they should discipline their minds to be retentive. It is a sin to forget, a sin to be negligent. If you form a habit of negligence, you may neglect your own soul's salvation and at last find that you are unready for the kingdom of God. Great truths must be brought into little things. Practical religion is to be carried into the lowly duties of daily life. The greatest qualification for any man is to obey implicitly the word of the Lord. Because they are not connected with some directly religious work, many feel that their lives are useless, that they are doing nothing for the advancement of God's kingdom, but this is a mistake. If their work is that which someone must do, they should not accuse themselves of uselessness in the great household of God. The humblest duties are not to be ignored. Any honest work is a blessing, and faithfulness in it may prove a training for higher trust. However lowly, any work done for God with a full surrender of self is as acceptable to Him as the higher service. No offering is small that is given with true-heartedness and gladness of soul. Wherever we may be, Christ bids us take up the duty that presents itself. If this is in the home... Take hold willingly and earnestly to make home a pleasant place. If you are a mother, train your children for Christ. This is as verily a work for God as is that of the minister in the pulpit. If your duty is in the kitchen, seek to be a perfect cook. Prepare food that will be healthful, nourishing and appetizing. And as you employ the best ingredients in preparing food, remember that you are to give your mind the best thoughts. If it is your work to till the soil or to engage in any other trade or occupation, make a success of the present duty. Put your mind on what you are doing. In all your work represent Christ. Do as He would do in your place. However small your talent, God has a place for it. That one talent, widely used, will accomplish its appointed work. By faithfulness in little duties, we are to work on the plan of addition and God will work for us on the plan of multiplication. These littles will become the most precious influences in His work. Let a living faith run like threads of gold through the performance of even the smallest duties. Then all the daily work will promote Christian growth. There will be a continual looking unto Jesus. Love for Him will be a vital force to everything that is undertaken. Thus, through the right use of our talents, we may link ourselves by a golden chain to the higher world. This is true sanctification, for sanctification consists in the cheerful performance of daily duties in perfect obedience to the will of God. But many Christians are waiting for some great work to be brought to them. Because they cannot find a place large enough to satisfy their ambition, they fail to perform faithfully the common duties of life. These seem to them uninteresting. Day by day they let slip opportunities for showing their faithfulness to God. While they are waiting for some great work, life passes away, its purposes unfulfilled, its work unaccomplished. The Talents Returned After a long time the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. When the Lord takes account of his servants, the return from every talent will be scrutinized. The work done reveals the character of the worker. Those who have received the five and the two talents return to the Lord the entrusted gifts with their increase. In doing this, they claim no merit for themselves. Their talents are those that have been delivered to them. They've gained other talents, but there could have been no gain without the deposit. They see that they have done only their duty. The capital was the Lord's, the improvement is His. Had not the Saviour bestowed upon them his love and grace, they would have been bankrupt for eternity. But when the Master receives the talents, he approves and rewards the workers as though the merit were all their own. His countenance is full of joy and satisfaction. He is filled with delight that he can bestow blessings upon them. For every service and every sacrifice, he requites them not because it is a debt he owes, but because his heart is overflowing with love and tenderness. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, he says. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. It is the faithfulness, the loyalty to God, the loving service that wins the divine approval. Every impulse of the Holy Spirit leading men to goodness and to God is noted in the books of heaven and in the day of God the workers through whom He is wrought will be commended. They will enter into the joy of the Lord as they see in His kingdom those who have been redeemed through their instrumentality. And they are privileged to participate in His work there because they have gained a fitness for it by participation in His work here. What we shall be in heaven is the reflection of what we are now in character and holy service. Christ said of Himself, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Matthew 20, verse 28. This, His work on earth, is His work in heaven. And our reward for working with Christ in this world is the greater power and wider privilege of working with Him in the world to come. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strewed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. Thus men excuse their neglect of God's gifts. They look upon God as severe and tyrannical, as watching to spy out their mistakes and visit them with judgments. They charge him with demanding what he has never given, with reaping where he has not sown. There are many who in their hearts charge God with being a hard master because he claims their possessions and their service. But we can bring to God nothing that is not already his. All things come of thee, said King David, and of thine own have we given thee. First Chronicles 29 verse 14 All things are God's, not only by creation, but by redemption. All the blessings of this life and of the life to come are delivered to us stamped with the cross of Calvary. Therefore, the charge that God is a hard master, reaping where he has not sown, is false. The master does not deny the charge of the wicked servant, unjust as it is. But taking him on his own ground, he shows that his conduct is without excuse. Ways and means had been provided whereby the talent might have been improved to the owner's profit. Thou oughtest, he said, to have put my money to the exchanges, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Our Heavenly Father requires no more nor less than he has given us ability to do. He lays upon his servants no burdens that they are not able to bear. He knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Psalm 103, verse 14. All that He claims from us, we through divine grace can render. Under whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. We shall individually be held responsible for doing one jot less than we have ability to do. The Lord measures with exactness every possibility for service, The unused capabilities are as much brought into account as are those that are improved. For all that we might become through the right use of our talents, God holds us responsible. We shall be judged according to what we ought to have done, but did not accomplish because we did not use our powers to glorify God. Even if we do not lose our souls, we shall realize in eternity the result of our unused talents. For all the knowledge and ability that we might have gained and did not, there will be an eternal loss. But when we give ourselves wholly to God, and in our work follow His directions, He makes Himself responsible for its accomplishment. He would not have us conjecture as to the success of our honest endeavors. Not once should we even think of failure. We are to cooperate with the one who knows no failure. We should not talk of our own weakness and inability. This is a manifest distrust of God, a denial of His Word. When we murmur because of our burdens or refuse the responsibilities He calls upon us to bear, we are virtually saying that He is a hard master, that He requires what He has not given us power to do. The spirit of the slothful servant we are often fain to call humility, but true humility is widely different. To be clothed with humility does not mean that we are to be dwarfs in intellect, deficient in aspiration and cowardly in our lives, shunning burdens lest we fail to carry them successfully. Real humility fulfills God's purposes by depending upon His strength. God works by whom He will. He sometimes selects the humblest instrument to do the greatest work, for His power is revealed through the weakness of men. We have our standard, and by it we pronounce one thing great and another small. But God does not estimate according to our rule. We are not to suppose that what is great to us must be great to God, or that what is small to us must be small to Him. It does not rest with us to pass judgment on our talents or to choose our work. We are to take up the burdens that God appoints, bearing them for His sake and ever going to Him for rest. Whatever our work, God is honored by wholehearted, cheerful service. He is pleased when we take up duties with gratitude, rejoicing that we are accounted worthy to be co-laborers with Him. The Talent Removed Upon the slothful servant, the sentence was, Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. Here, as in the reward of the faithful worker, is indicated not merely the reward at the final judgment, but the gradual process of retribution in this life. As in the natural, so in the spiritual world, every power unused will weaken and decay. Activity is the law of life. Idleness is death. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Employed to bless others, his gifts increase. Shut up to self-serving, they diminish and are finally withdrawn. He who refuses to impart that which he has received will at last find that he has nothing to give. He is consenting to a process that surely dwarfs and finally destroys the faculties of the soul. Let none suppose that they can live a life of selfishness and then, having served their own interests, enter into the joy of their Lord. In the joy of unselfish love, they could not participate. They would not be fitted for the heavenly courts. They could not appreciate the pure atmosphere of love that pervades heaven. The voices of the angels and the music of their harps would not satisfy them. To their minds the science of heaven would be as an enigma.
0: Join us again next time as Clive Nash continues to read from the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen G. White. Hope you enjoy the short presentation on the history of the Reformation from lineagejourney.com.
6: The Waldensians stand as one of the most faithful groups of people throughout history in Europe. Faithful to the Word of God and faithful amidst much trial. Despite suffering repeated persecution over the course of almost a millennia, in the 17th century they would go through one of the worst episodes of their history. In January of 1655, the Duke of Savoy gave the Waldensians in the lower valleys a choice, either attend mass or leave the valleys. Rather than compromise, some 2,000 believers journeyed across snowy rivers and hills in the dead of winter to be welcomed by their fellow believers in the upper valleys. But this was merely the calm before the storm. In April of that year, the Duke sent an army into the valleys, and on April the 24th, At 4 a.m., a Saturday, the massacre started. Not content with simply killing them, the soldiers and monks who accompanied them invented barbaric tortures. Babies and children had their limbs torn from their bodies by sheer strength. Parents were forced to watch their children tortured and killed before they themselves were tortured and killed. Fathers were made to wear the decapitated heads of their children as they were marched to their death. Some Christians were literally plowed into their own field. Some were flayed or burned alive, and many endured much worse. Unburied bodies, dead and alive, covered the ground. In order to escape this terrible massacre, hundreds of Waldensians fled to a large cave in the towering Mount Castelluzzo. The murderous soldiers, however, found them and marched them to the top. They came to this spot right here and were hurled over the edge to their death on the rocks below. I believe that on the resurrection morning, many faithful believers will rise to glory from the bottom of this mountain and in this valley. This is the reference in Milton's famous sonnet to the bloody Piedmontese that hurled mother and infant down the rocks. Survivors of the massacre were few, but they rallied together and wrote to Christians throughout Europe for help. Their letters included the heart-rending words, our tears are no longer of water, they are of blood. They do not merely obscure our sight, but choke our very heart when Oliver Cromwell, Lord Protector of England, heard of the massacre. He called for a national day of fasting and collected money to send to meet the physical needs of the Waldensians. This was not the only instance of persecution and it continued over three and a half decades from 1655 to 1689. During that time, more than half were driven from the valleys. Yet in 1689, Henry Arnault from Noyon, Switzerland led a force of 800 warriors back to the border. In the winter, they resisted four separate attacks from a much larger army. In spring, the papal armies returned with 22,000 soldiers, this time to fight a much smaller Wadensian force of just 400 men. Yet they were once again defeated, and not only that, not one of the 400 men was lost in this battle. They returned to the valleys in what was called the Glorious Return, reclaiming them once again as a place where they could live and worship. The Waldensians had a faith that reminds me of Job. They were a people who suffered attacks and persecutions for several centuries, close to a thousand years, suffering immeasurably. For many, it did not weaken their faith, but rather strengthen it. Sometimes in life, we may be serving God, dedicating our lives to Him, and we still go through hard times, trials, and suffering that many say we do not deserve. May we have a faith like Job, who said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Whatever we go through in life, may we stay hold of God, trusting that he has our best interests at heart.
7: To view more
0: episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to lineagejourney.com.